0: Welcome to Cleary Gottlieb's Antitrust Review, a podcast focused on antitrust enforcement, policy and practice. In an increasingly complex and noisy world, we strive to provide insight, clarity, wisdom and light. My name is Nick Levy and I'll be your host today. I've come to Paris to record today's podcast with someone I first met 25 years ago when he was a young Turk in the Brussels antitrust community developing a stellar reputation as a forceful, creative, and thoughtful enforcer. In the intervening period, he's had an extraordinary career. He played a central role in a series of high-profile mergers reviewed by the European Commission, including WorldCom MCI Sprint and Schneider-Legrand. He advised the then head of mergers at DG Competition for a while. He headed the DG Competition unit charged with reviewing conduct cases in the pharmaceutical and telecommunications sectors He's handled a large number of merger and conduct cases in the energy, payment systems, IT, and telecom sectors. And for the past few years, he's been in Paris, where he's now one of four vice presidents of the French Competition Authority. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Henri Pifot. Henri, you're one of a few officials to have held senior positions in both the European Commission and the French Competition Authority. Can you tell the audience what are the main differences as you see them between the two agencies? And what do you consider to be their principal strengths and weaknesses? And in particular, I'm interested in your views on the architecture of the two agencies and the separation that exists in the FCA, the French Competition Authority, between the agency's board and the investigating services that operate under a general rapporteur. Henri.
1: Thanks, Nick. The main difference between the, uh, the French Competition Authority and the, uh, and the Commission is that uh, while well, the French Competition Authority is French. And um so that brings already a, a big cultural difference between an international world and a, and a very national world. Another big difference is that there are two hundred people working at the French Competition authority, whereas at uh, DG competition there are more than one thousand people, I guess, even if at the uh, at the European Commission uh, DG competition deals also with uh, state aid, which we don't deal with here in the, in Paris. Maybe somebody should deal with that, but well, as you were saying the... There's one big difference, is that in that in um, in France there's a, um, a separation between the what we call the investigative services and those who decide, i.e. the have uh, a board or a college. And um, so why so? Because the um, because the the, um, the decisions on uh, on cartels or abuses are quasi criminal. There was a feeling that there was a need to even more protect the rights of defence in in making sure that there would be not too much confusion between um, investigation, prosecution and, and, and decision. So we we have had this, uh, this kind of file um, structure here, which sometimes would make the work a little bit complete, more complicated than uh, there used to be in, um, in Brussels, but also brings a, an extra layer of, of quality control and also of making sure that, you know, there would be uh, not too much uh, selective bias in, in, in taking decisions. What happens is that the, uh, the services would decide which case to, to investigate. Well, it has to be um, agreed of by the uh, by the board. But then, when, once they, it's it's decided, they would do they would run the investigation that they wish until they sent a statement of objection. And then, just after that, the case is transferred to us. There would be a panel of uh, at least three people who would be hearing the parties, the services. And with uh, potentially third parties, and then the um, so everybody would be on a level playing field. We would be asking questions to the to the parties, third parties, or even the uh, the services. It doesn't really matter. And then we uh, the panel would decide on the case. And takes over the, the, uh, the, the, file and would draft the, uh, the decision, which leads to a really different kind of setting than at the commission where the DG competition would be, would be doing the investigation, would be drafting the settlement of objection. Yes, it's an act of the commission. It's not an act of DG competition. And at the end of the day, the decision would be taken by the commission, but from a proposal by the, um, by the DG competition. So the structurally, that's, that's a big difference. Another big difference. Is that it's a small structure in here in Paris. It's 200 people, there are administrative staff, there are people who do the investigation, there are people who advise the board on on drafting decisions Our internal legal service, and uh, we have a a, a chief economist team, we have a digital unit, but we don't have the same means in terms of budget and in terms of of manpower than than the commission. um, Our digital unit is dwarfed by by the equivalent that would exist, say, at this at the CMA or at the Commission, and the same goes for for the chief economist team. So we we really need to be very agile in the way that we deal with cases, as opposed to um, what I've experienced at the at the Commission. So our cases would be two, three, maybe four people maximum, and whereas the Commission uh, you know keeps expanding.
0: So Henry. It seems to me interesting, you talked about the relative lack of resources and the uh, two-stage process with an independent um, board uh, reviewing. Some might think the two together would lead to relatively uh, few cases coming out of the agency. But in fact, the agency has been one of the most prolific over the last decade. What do you think the reason for that is? With size, you have a flatter organization.
1: And also, those who decide are not necessarily who, those who have uh, done the investigation, as I was just uh, saying. That means that in terms of agency, we those who decide are those who are going to hold the pen, and the um, and so the, that streamlines all the processes and that forces everybody to focus on on their work. And uh, and so there, there, there's much less coordination within the uh, French agency than there than, than there is in uh, in Brussels. Um, so I think that's one of the main explanations. And we um, we tend to draft decisions which are a bit shorter, even if too long for many people, which are a bit shorter than, uh, than those at the, um, at the commission.
0: Henry, you spoke quite a bit about your role as being a member of the board that reviews and affect the output of um, uh, the services. Um, so there's a strict independence of the board from the um, from the officials that are uh, conducting the investigation. Do you give any direction to them as to the course of any particular case or what the outcome should be, or it's really kept separate? So
1: you have to make a distinction between the, uh, the three kind of competences that we have at the French Competition Authority. They are the um, anti-competitive practices, 101 102, there, there is a strict independence. We cannot give any direction. We we only know of a case once the uh, certain objection has been sent and we have to organize the hearing. So then there is major control, which is not quasi criminal. So we, um, there, there can be interactions at the times of the investigation. In practice, we don't give directions, but there uh, they can be, we don't give indications, but there, there can be interactions prior to a hearing to be held in phase two. And then the last uh, competence that we have is one of uh, advising the, uh, the government or advising other public uh, stakeholders, where we issue opinions, addressing questions or addressing a draft act that is in preparation. And there, again, it's not quasi criminal. There's actually no, no party exposed there. And we would be working together with services, interacting, and probably also giving some early direction.
0: Henry, if I understand well, then there are four vice presidents that have chambers of their own, but you're also joined by other members on your tribunals, if you like. Where do they come from? Who appoints them? How does that work? So we have five permanent members.
1: So we have the president and the four vice presidents. And then we have a bunch of uh, non-permanent members who must come from um, the judiciary, the... um, a number of, um, let's say, um, public sector um, advising bodies, like the um, Conseil d'État, the Cour des Comptes, and, um, and others, there can be uh, also people from uh, academia, and then people from uh, from private companies, who selects them, and who appoints them, it's the administration, and the, um, for me, it's the, it's the president of the Republic who signed the, the decree appointing me.
0: And I guess I haven't checked it. I guess it's the same for, for the non permanent members. So the system is a little like the CMA, for those who are familiar with the CMA, at least in the merger control area where you have a quasi-autonomous, quasi-independent inquiry group that comes in at phase two in effect to take a view, but it extends beyond merger control to antitrust as well.
1: Correct, and opinions.
0: So many of our listeners will know quite a, a bit about the European Commission, but less about the French Competition Authority. Can you tell us a bit about what the agency's current enforcement priorities are?
1: Yes, I can. So we, we, we just published last week or two weeks ago, a, a document which sets out our priorities for, for 2023. The, um, these are, let me try to remember um, the digital industry. The purchasing power, even more so in this time of um, you know uh, greater inflation, it's the um, making sure that the um, markets function uh, as good as they can in the other territories where there's a little um, there are specificities in our competition law which applies there. It's also making sure that the public procurement is not biased by any uh, private um, behaviour by by companies. The sixth priority of the, uh, of the French competition authority is obviously one of sustainability and making sure that uh, when addressing and assessing uh, agreements or, or even mergers, the, um, that, um, that, um, that aspect is, is taken into account, whether it's you know, into the benefit of the environment or detrimental to the environment.
0: Henri, a question I'm often asked by clients in connection with transactions that have a French dimension is the role of politics. And you'll recall well the uh, French government's criticism of the European Commission's prohibition of the Siemens Ausstrom merger and their subsequent calls together with the German government for greater account to be taken of industrial policy considerations in reviewing transactions designed to create uh, European or national champions. And of course, you'll also know um, and be aware of some of the media speculation that the French government's decision, not to renew former President De Silva's mandate was in part due to her negative views of the uh, TFIM 6 transaction, which the French government had expressed support for. Of course, you recall from your time in Brussels, successive European competition commissioners have long resisted calls to take account of political or industrial considerations in enforcing competition law. So, to my question, What's your perspective of the scope for political intervention in the enforcement of French competition law?
1: Um, <laughs> the irony of all of that is that, you know, the French competition authority, by statute, is independent. We we, ne- we would need to make a, a serious uh, a serious mistake to, you know, to be um, to be sacked. We cannot be sacked. We are, we are independent. We have a mandate of five years, and um, nobody can um, can uh, can get rid of us. Whereas the, again, the irony is that the uh, digital competition is not independent. It depends on a political body, the Commission, the College of of Commissioners. So, in practice, when you think of, um, and I noted that your examples were were actually mostly in, in Brussels. In practice, the government or anybody cannot give us directions on what uh, the output should be. And if you take the example of uh, the FIMC, so so the media merger that that took place. Um, last year, which was abandoned by the parties. If really the objective would have been by not renewing the mandate of um, Isabel de Silva to make sure that the outcome would be one of clearing the uh, transaction, that's the last thing to do. Because when you do that, then all expectations, all eyes are on the French competition authority. And if you would uh, clear the merger, then it would obviously be because there would have been pressure. So it's narrowing the options. In that in that sense in that perspective is narrowing the option for the French Competition Authority. So I wouldn't I wouldn't think I think it's too simple of an explanation. I don't know what the real explanation is, but I wouldn't think that was the, uh, the purpose. And I mean it's the parties who abandoned that merger, but at the end of the day it's also because they claim that they owe a strong
0: opposition from the French Competition Authority. So, Henri, your, your sense is that to the extent the French government wants to use political influence to um, uh, to influence the outcome of uh, competition law cases, it does so more in Brussels than it does in Paris.
1: So I don't know what they do in, pa- in, in, in Brussels, obviously, but I can tell you that in Paris, we uh, we are fully independent.
0: To the listeners of the podcast, they can feel um, uh, pretty confident that the agency is independent. Decisions are taken in an independent way based on the evidence before the agency, and there's not attempts to sway the outcome from uh, the administration.
1: No attempts. I've never seen that.
0: Henry, you've been involved in various cases over the years that have tested what was seen at the time as the boundaries of competition law enforcement, uh, including in France, most recently the Google, Jib Media, and the Avastant uh, Lucentin cases which were based on what was seen, I think, by some as fairly innovative theories of exploitative abuse. Given the resources and time are limited, do you think antitrust agencies should continually look to flex um, existing antitrust rules or are better off focusing instead on traditional theories of harm?
1: You know, it's not as if the the, um, the economy is stable, and the um, it's we see the same issues um, coming back and, and and again. So when there's a new phenomenon emerging, like uh, big tech, for instance, at some point you need to face it and you need to to address it. Competition law is, is here for that, and at some point maybe there would be um, you know distinct tool or regulation that would be adapted to to deal with issues with this or that. Um, the technology or industry that has emerged. So I, I think it's a duty for competition authorities, not just the French one, but for competition authorities to address new issues. But yeah, so it's a duty to remain humble and to think that we cannot solve and address everything and um, and have any. We should keep that in mind and make sure that we address the, um, the issues and then leave it to the legislator or the regulator to deal with, with the rest or to expand the role in addressing such issues. So when you. Take the two examples that, you, that you've cited, uh, Google G Media and, um, and the other case. So Google G Media was involved in, um, in, uh, in this one. I was a member of, um, I was chairing actually the, um, the panel who decided on it. It's an exploitative case, true. But I mean, there have been exploitative cases in um, applying 101, uh, oh, sorry, 102 for quite a while. It's not, so there's nothing new in that. The, um, it was appealed before the French Court of Appeal in Paris. Which confirmed the decision and basing itself on an above precedence as well. So in a way, it's using tools that pre-existed to a new issue. And then the uh, the Avastine, it's uh, that's about pharma. Obviously, it's about the uh, the price of uh, of medicine which is charged to um, to patients and whether you know it's uh, the price is too high or not. I don't want to expand on that case because it's uh, it's it's life before the course is not necessarily over. But let's say that it, it may make sense to deal with cases where the, um, you could see the, um, the price of a medicine uh, being divided by uh, quite a factor if companies would behave in a different way. Now, is it, is it our task for this specific case? It's an issue.
0: Honey, when you stand back and look at the output of the French Competition Authority, how would you characterize it as between the various uh, different areas of enforcement?
1: We do quite a few cartels. Many of them are under um, settlements, so would say, yeah, probably one-third. I don't have the numbers in mind. Then we um, we have a, a number of, um, of one or two cases, which could be exploitative or could, which could be um, uh, foreclosure cases, which would be probably one-third as well. And then we have a quite a few vertical cases as well, which would say, yeah, I would say it's the over third, We say price maintenance and, um, and other stuff like that, exclusivity clauses.
0: And how frequently does the um uh, does the board diverge from the position that the services are taking?
1: it's it's really not infrequent. So you might have a case where the, the services would have sent um, a statement of objections to say five objections. And quite often we would keep only two of them, so I mean it's not as if we have um, taken uh, I mean sent back or, or clear completely the, um, the the case, but we would take a stance which is quite different from the one for, uh, that uh, was advocated by the, by the services. The same goes for the for the time period, for instance. And I would say that in twenty percent of the cases we would um, actually uh, clear the
0: case and and uh, and say that there was no issue. And in the area of merger control, is your power a binary one to approve or prohibit or do you also have the power to direct the, um, the investigating officials to try to find a settlement or to approve a settlement or commitments that have been put to you?
1: So in merger control, we, um, there, are, there are four possibilities. So we could clear a transaction we could clear transaction based on uh, undertakings which would have been uh, proposed by the uh, by the companies we could clear the case conditioned on the parties complying with injunctions that would impose on them or we could prohibit the transaction so you really have the four possible options and the um, the third one does, has not really happened very often, but the uh, all the other ones have happened and happened. And then there is a um, there is a possibility for the, for the minister for the economy to overrule us if we have a private transaction, they uh, he she could uh, say you know, actually for in the interest of employment or whatever, we uh, I think that this transaction should be cleared or should, there should be a different
0: kind of settlements. And how often has that happened in recent years?
1: It has happened only once.
0: So to those who wonder whether that possibility um, uh, carries with it scope for some uh, political vetting, if you like, of uh, the decisions of the French competition authority, it's been pretty rare then.
1: Well, it's, it's been more than rare. Yeah. It's been more than rare,
0: yeah. Henri, I'd like to turn to judicial review. While you were at the European Commission, as you recall well, Uh, A number of merger uh, decisions you were involved in, uh, the Schneider-le-Ground, the MCI Wellcome Sprint cases I referred to at the beginning, were annulled by the European courts and during your time at the French Competition Authority, the agencies experienced some setbacks at the court. Be interested in your view of judicial review, do you view it as an important check with a useful role to play in clarifying the law, as the European Commission has at times suggested, or something of an impediment that chills an agency's enforcement efforts? as the uh, CMA has from time to time suggested.
1: In a way, I would take a third way, à la Blair. <laughs> and I would say that the um, what I value most of um, the existence of a judicial review that would come afterwards is the fact that I internalise it. So it really forces me when I have to, do, to decide on the case or when I was investigating cases, it forces me to anticipate what would a judge think of that and how to address it. It and to try to remain as fair and um, and objective as possible so the, the um as you were saying I I, uh, I experienced a number of announcements uh, uh, before the before the European Court and the um you could debate on whether these, uh, they were well grounded or not it doesn't really matter in a way at least for these cases because they didn't really set important precedents but the what I drew from these was really, when I was dealing with further cases later on, always to try to internalize what the judge would think of it, always seeing myself, I wouldn't say pleading the case, but answering to questions from the judges. And that's and to and therefore to keep to, to remain humble when you deal with cases, when you when you deal with parties, and to try as much as possible to make sure that the parties have a feeling that you're listening to them and that you're,
0: you're really rendering justice and not just deciding on a win. So the prospect of judicial review, in your experience, acts as something of a check and balance on the way in which you you decide cases. Completely,
1: yeah, I, I really internalise it. And then, obviously, in a number of circumstances, I um, I would I would really expect the court to give guidance because there are some areas of law of a law where you don't really know where the boundaries are. And you'd, you would test the water and uh, and make and would hope that then the court would come uh, with an answer. Like for instance, yesterday the court came with an answer on a on a French case on whether continental, continental can was still uh, applicable or
0: not. And the appellate court in uh, France, it's a specialist competition tribunal or a generalist uh, court.
1: It's uh, so it's within the court d'appel de Paris and it's it's a chamber which is specialized on economic issues, economic law. Not just trust law, but the economic law.
0: So they don't have specialist uh, competition courts in the way, say, uh, you find in Luxembourg to some extent, or in the UK with the Competition Appeal Tribunal? No. Henry, I'd like to turn to the regulation of the world's leading digital platforms. As you know, of course, the EU has adopted the Digital Markets Act, um, and one of its objectives is to harmonize enforcement across the EU, the French Competition Authority, has jurisdiction to review those platforms, to apply French competition law uh, to them. How do you see the two regimes interacting? I see them
1: interacting very nicely and smoothly and fluidly. No, um, seriously. The the DMA, in a way, has taken stock of, um, you know, past behaviors by, by the big digital platforms. And the, uh, so there are a number of um, you know must do, must not do, or cannot do in uh, which is listed in the into the DMA. But what tells us that in the future these kind of behaviours will be those that will be um, adopted by the by, by platforms? You could very well imagine that the um, anti-competitive new anti-competitive behaviours not caught by the um, articles of the DMA would take place, and then somebody needs to deal with that, be it at the uh, national level or be it at the urban level. So I would say that it's very much complementary. And you can also imagine that there would be cases which would raise issues under the DMA, but also under the uh, normal competition law, which would be um, interconnected. And then there will be a question on who is, who will be dealing with that in terms of competency? Will it be a national competition authority like the French one, or will it be the commission because it would hold the two powers? That's an open question and we'll see.
0: Henri, tell us about the cooperation that exists between the French Competition Authority on the one hand and the European Commission, and between the French Competition Authority and some of the other competition authorities in, uh, in continental Europe.
1: So you know, in a way it's mandated by the uh, by the regulations that we uh, that we cooperate. So we, in in uh, in all and any case which involves Article 101 or Article 102, we would be interacting at, at a number of stages with the European Commission. And so quite often. On uh, issues of common interests, we would be interacting with national competition authorities, whether at policy level or even sometimes because we have a uh, parallel cases which deal with the same issues or whether because we would want to have some cooperation to investigate one company would be based in another member state. So we, we have a very, um, a very fruitful cooperation on both fronts with our national competition authority and with a, with a commission, which goes much beyond what is. Actually, provide for into the uh, into the regulations.
0: So, combining those two answers, or the answers to my two last questions, Henri, it sounds like uh, we're unlikely to see the French Competition Authority uh, taking uh, divergent decisions in the digital space to those that the European Commission are taking uh, um, to those that the European Commission are taking either under the DMA or under the existing antitrust rules.
1: Well, it's you, you can never predict what the future will uh, will offer, obviously. Under the under the DMA, it will be um, very surprising. Um, and now, uh, for other cases, it well, these are not necessarily the same cases. So I wouldn't be able to tell to tell you that the cases that we have dealt with under the uh, under Article one one hundred one or one hundred two in the digital sphere are in, in contradiction or not with the, what the Commission is doing.
0: Henry, thanks for that. I'd like to turn to a different topic, uh, climate change and sustainability. Understand that the FCA has established a sustainable development network and is ready to sanction companies uh, that negate their sustainability obligations. Do you think this is an appropriate focus for a competition agency? Uh, Do you wonder whether sustainability objectives wouldn't be better pursued by a specialized authority? And is the FCA considering the positive effect of mergers on sustainability?
1: It's an interesting question. Sustainability can be, can be seen in a, in a positive way or in a, in a negative way, meaning you could have an agreement which would um, lead or help companies to make sure that they adjust to, a, um, to what they perceive to be consumer demand, to have you know, more sustainable processes or more sustainable um, products. And then you would apply 101 and the uh, exemption uh, conditions under 101.3 to that, and, and taking sustainability as a, one of the objectives under the third, uh, the first condition of uh, Article 101.3, which I mean any competition authority has been doing forever in a way. So there's nothing new here. And um, apart from you know this uh, very interesting intellectual debate on uh, whether you should take the cross efficiencies into account or not. Um, you could see exactly the same thing under the major review on, uh, you know, the, um, a merger would have a positive effect because it would give a critical mass, uh, which would be uh, good enough to allow the development of products, which uh, meet any kind of sustainable goal. And then you would um, consider that as an efficiency and uh, does it offset or not the uh, possible negative effects on competition. And that's... That's an in concreto kind of assessment I cannot, um, apart from the intellectual joy of um, considering that and how to quantify that. It doesn't, I mean, there's nothing surprising and no, nothing over the top for any competition authority to, to do that. So I have difficulties to see where would be beyond, would be going beyond the boundaries of what competition law would allow us to do. Obviously, if you were to say, you know, you should behave in that way or in this way in order to better protect the environment and to offer you know um, food, which is a um, sustainable food, then would be beyond would be going beyond our reach, but we um, I haven't seen any case which which uh,
0: would look like that. As you know, Henry, some have said the European Commission hasn't been sufficiently ambitious maybe in signaling its readiness to take positive account of the the impact on sustainability of transactions or forms of conduct. Has the French authority approved any mergers that might otherwise have raised issues because of the positive effect on uh, the sustainability issues, or exempted any agreement that might otherwise have raised concerns because uh, because of the efficiencies and other benefits for sustainability?
1: So, as far as mergers are concerned, no. We uh, we would be looking at that in uh, with an open mind as usual, but then there is always the kind of you know necessity criteria. And how do you quantify that, which would be, you know, once it's there, we'll assess it and we'll deal with it. But um, so this hasn't yet come to us. Now, on the agreement side, um, we never had a case where we decided on, uh, on such issues. But there are issues which have been raised or flagged to us, which
0: are quite similar to what you just described. Henry, I'd like to turn to merger control. You'll recall well the controversy around the General Electric Honeywell case at the beginning of the 2000s and the trilogy of prohibition uh, decisions that the court overturned. And at the time, the European Commission was seen as being something of an outlier, at least relative to the US agencies in its enforcement practice in merger control. Since then, of course, an awful lot of uh, uh, has changed. Uh, if you were to think of a spectrum with um, Uh, The progressive leadership of the FTC and the Department of Justice and the CMA, let's say, at the left of the spectrum, the European Commission at the right, uh, sorry, the European Commission in the centre, and let's say the Japanese uh, authority towards the right as a relatively non-interventionist agency. Where would you place the French competition authority on the spectrum?
1: I would say it's complicated because we, we don't necessarily deal with some kind of mergers. As the international mergers, which are dealt with by by the European Commission or the, um, the US agencies, what I can say is that in the past couple of years or three years, we have prohibited, um, I think, three mergers, and there have been a number of uh, a certain amount of mergers, and so I would I would say that we have got more interventionist, or at least more demanding in um, in assessing mergers, or maybe it's it's just the nature of mergers which have been notified to us, but I don't know. Now, is it uh, how do you compare that to the US agencies of, of the Commission? I think it's, it would be it wouldn't be um, an unnecessary to say where we are to the left of the Commission and to the right of the, um, of, the of the US agencies.
0: Henry, two questions on um, merger control. Uh, we've seen over the last few years, you'll know well, greater importance being attached to internal documents, maybe a little less importance attached to economics. Is that something you observe in uh, the area of French merger control as well? Um,
1: so there's, there's always a um, a great interest into, uh, you know, temporary, temporary non-suspecting internal documents, because they tell you more about the um, competition in uh, in, those, uh, in those industries. Obviously, um, for some industries, it's always complicated because they, they are fast-moving, so the past may not be that talkative about the future for this. Then in terms of economics, as a, you know, the, the, um, we don't have that many economists within, uh, within the uh, French agency as compared to uh, the US agencies or, or the European Commission. So we are limited in our capacity to build a, you know, complex economic assessments, but we do at these measures, we do, we, we do conduct economic analysis or quantitative analysis in uh, in quite a few of the complex ones and we also address the the economic analysis which is brought forward by um, parties or third parties in those cases now is there any trend? i wouldn't say that that there is a trend in less importance attached to um, economic analysis but it's always quite difficult to have um, economic studies which are satisfying to prove a, a point in one direction or the other
0: Henry, we can observe in the last few years, um, increased attention on dynamic competition, um, potential entry and innovation. Do you observe the same emphasis in, in France? So we we
1: do, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily in the area of mergers, because those mergers would uh, would go more naturally to the Commission. But in in the 101 or 102 cases that we but we have, and we have quite a few in, uh, in relation to big tech, then we obviously have to address all these aspects.
0: Final question on uh, Merger's remedy policy. Um, we're seeing some divergence in the approach of different agencies towards remedies. The US agencies have become... Uh, certainly skeptical of behavioral remedies, but also somewhat skeptical of some structural remedies. The European Commission historically, while having a preference for structural remedies, has been ready to countenance behavioral remedies in uh, some cases. The CMA, um, uh, somewhat like the US, uh, the US agencies at, at the moment, um, skeptical of behavioral remedies. Uh, tell us about the French Competition Authority's view as to whether behavioral remedies can be accepted to resolve merger cases.
1: So, in the past, the French Competition Authority was quite willing to accept behavioral remedies. Nowadays, we, uh, we are much more skeptical vis a vis behavioral remedies in, in mergers. So, we would tend we intend not to accept behavioural remedies and, and and go rather for structural remedies or prohibitions but then um, there are some cases like we we all know that some may, that may raise you know vertical issues uh, where we could um, we could envisage behavioural remedies but so we, we are very much on a par with uh, say the us or the um, or commissions.
0: Thanks Renri so my final topic before the quick fire questions concerns uh, the Competition Authority's advocacy role in a country that some of our listeners may believe rightly or wrongly is sceptical about the virtues of competition. Do you think the FCA has a role uh, to play in explaining why competition is a good thing? And what are you doing in this connection?
1: So we, yes, it has a role. We, um, as i was saying you know we have three competencies, and one of them is uh, is in advocacy is providing opinions to government and, and to other public bodies but it's also you know advocating to the wider public to the companies make sure that they have uh, that the internalize the existence of competition law that's an issue in uh, many uh, public procurement markets for instance so we we do communicate a lot we we um, issue guidelines we um, we try to go and speak to the uh, to various market actors. There's a there's a whole um, you know um, kind of deregulation that has been taking place in relation to professions. So we have been interacting a lot with professions to make sure that they understand the new environment in which they are now operating, and and to um, and uh, and uh, we provide advice on the government on you know how much how many new entries there would be as a notary or as a. Uh, um, would I would say the equivalent of a queen, uh, queen, king king avocat au conseil. So yeah, we we spend quite a quite a lot of time and, and effort in
0: advocating and uh, trying to reach out to the stakeholders. Thanks, Henri. And now to the quick fire questions. If you could change one thing about French antitrust enforcement, what would it be? Uh, more resources. So more resources to do what? To bring more cases, to bring them in greater detail? More resources to um,
1: to be able to um, to better assess the arguments that are put forward by parties or third parties. Say, you know, I was saying that we have a digital unit. If we were to have more people within that digital unit, we would be doing a better work. And the same goes, you know, for the, uh, the economist unit or for any other unit. We, uh, we are pretty small compared to um, any other competition authority. So with more people, we we'll would be not necessarily doing
0: more output, but probably better. We can always be better. And having seen the European Commission, having seen the French Competition Authority, would you keep the architecture of the French Competition Authority?
1: Yes. Yes. I think it solves a number of agency issues which we uh, we can see or we can imagine is there are taking place at the, uh, the commission. Um, the fact that, the, um, that those who decide are those who are going to hold the pen in, uh, in drafting the decision is also a very uh, sound uh, kind of internal control.
0: Henry, as you look back at uh, a long career in antitrust uh, enforcement and policy, tell us what your proudest achievement is and what's your greatest regret.
1: It, it's, it's complicated huh? because the easy answer is to say, well, I don't care about the past. What matters is the next case. And to be good at the next case, but I want to give you an answer. An one of the things of which I wouldn't say I'm proud, but I'm—I I'm, um, think I've brought something—is in merger control, there are many aspects. So you were mentioning internal documents. For instance, there are many aspects where I really tried to um, to get the work at the Commission to uh, to take more into account the, um, the reality of the businesses. I think there I have, I've brought some things. Um, and the same goes for a number of um, of cases where there was a need to find innovative solutions because these were complex to size the markets or whatever and there again i I think I hope that i've I've brought some of um some, you know, some of the input for the um, for these cases that was uh but was key to the resolution so you, you may say that it's not very um, modest of me to say that, but bon, I'm trying to to be honest in my answer and your biggest regret and my biggest regret. Um so regrets hurt, you know. <laughs> um my biggest regret would be not to have I've done many different things and I've I should have done them earlier. So I've I've remained for too long in the uh, in major control and I should have tried to address and to look at competition, um, competition law, competition policy through other angles. I've done that in academia. I've done that in France. I've done that in private sector. And I think I should have done that um, earlier. Because the more I do that, the happier I am.
0: <laughs> you talked about looking to the future. Uh, if it's not too cheeky a question, um, what are your thoughts on what you might do when your mandate at the FCA ends?
1: So my mandate will end in a, a year time. I have no idea. I have really no idea. It's, it's a constraint that I've put on myself, which I think is very sound because from time to time, you need to, um, to make sure that you have a choice. I've done that earlier on
0: already in my career. And but for the moment, I have no idea. And Henri, finally, is there one thing you can tell us about yourself that's not widely known? In the eighties, I was a, a smuggler
1: of books in Eastern Europe. You've got to tell us more about that. So I was, I was, um, I was tra- trying to help run a, a, a cinema here in Paris, which was run by a number of political exiles, uh, writers from Poland, from Czechoslovakia at the time. And, and uh, their books were prohibited in, po- in then communist Poland or communist Czechoslovakia. And from time to time would go there with their books and distributing their books to their friends.
0: That's a totally unique answer, Henri. I thought you were going to talk about your surfing, but uh, but that's maybe something you'll say is too widely known. Exactly, like rugby as well. Like rugby as well. Henri, it's been a pleasure to be in Paris. It's been fascinating to talk to you about uh, this new chapter in your career. Um, I've enjoyed it uh, very much and look forward to seeing what you do next, and um, appreciate everyone's time today in listening to the podcast. I'm Nick Levy. I've been your host today. Look forward to welcoming you to our next edition.